Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestoninzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. The world of selling has changed quite dramatically. Now, some would agree with that statement, and others won't. Some will say, nah, selling's still the same. And, and some are saying, yeah, nah, the way in which we sell is completely different. Social has changed everything and inbounds has changed the way in which buyers interact with sellers and blah, blah, blah. Look, fundamentally, my belief is that, yes, sales has changed, but the process in which people go through the sales process hasn't changed. You know, fundamentally, if there's, if there's value, if buyers see value in what a seller has to offer and there's a, there's a bit of trust and relationship there, an exchange will occur, right? But what has changed is the amount of technology that's involved in the sales process. That has changed. The way in which we engage with buyers now, you know, virtually virtual selling is, is super high, you know, especially after what's happened in the last sort of 15, 15, 12 to 15 months. And the roles in which the sales process has been broken down into. You have now, you know, SDRs, BDRs, AEs, customer success, and there are so many different roles. And what excites me about this week's episode is we have somebody that went from an SDR into an AE and he's absolutely crushing it. Sarah Brazier, her brand has exploded on the world of LinkedIn. She is an incredible operator. I've, I've, thoroughly enjoy this episode and look we start by talking about one thing and we go off into like a number of different lanes but this is an episode for anyone that is working across the sales process somebody that's either just started in the world of selling or somebody that's been doing this role for a number of years Sarah is an incredible operator and he's going to talk about her journey from SDR into AE and how she's crushing her number each and every month and how being an SDR has helped her and accelerated her performance in her current roles in AE and what she did from a mindset perspective to prepare herself to be such an incredible operator. This episode is brought to you by Vidyard, Vidyard. the online video tool for sales professionals. Vidyard makes it easy for sales teams to turn text-based emails into personal video messages and will help you engage with your prospects and create an incredible buying experience for them, which will ultimately help you reach your pipeline and revenue goals. So do yourself a favor, get to vidyard.com, sign up and start using video in your sales process. So buckle up because this is one where you need to take your notepad out. You probably might have to listen to it again because there is so much learning that's going to help you be the very best sales professional you can be. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks for having me. I'm pretty excited. I'm excited on a couple of fronts. And I think the first or one of the things that excites me the most is obviously seeing your brand blow up over the last couple of years has been pretty impressive. Um, But also hearing you talk about the transition from top of the funnel SDR to AE and the results that you're getting is, is incredible. So I can't wait to dive into that chat. But before we jump into it, we'd love to know a little bit more about you and how you started in the world of selling. <laughs> so a little bit about me. Oh boy. Um, my name is Sarah Brazier. I'm the middle of seven children. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, but (laughs) I, uh, yeah, the the way that I started in sales, I think is the way that most people start in sales. Um, I stumbled into it out of a situation of desperation. I had been trying to cut my teeth as an actor in San Francisco and I was booking gigs that paid me, you know, 500 bucks for three months of work on stage and then working as a barista in, you know, waking up at four in the morning to go open the shop and then also working as the front desk person at a startup in Silicon Valley. And I thought, man, this is really hard and it's, and I don't have any money and I can't eat food. I keep eating the startup's food. (laughs) (laughs) And... (laughs) I really did. I'd like go, you know, at the end of the day, I'd go get their, you know, those packaged eggs, those packaged hard-boiled eggs you can get? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's my dinner. So So, um, one of the guys who worked at at the company, his name's Jim Jones. And um, Jim actually puts out a ton of great content on LinkedIn as well. He is, uh, he's he's been in enablement for a really long time. He's a longtime sales guy and he's, he's just, he's, he's pretty excellent. So I think it was like my first day at, at, at this company, he walked in and, you know, introduced himself. And I said, Oh, what do you do? And he said, I work in sales enablement. And I said, well, I need to talk to you. Yeah. And um, I told him that I'd be interested in working in sales because all my life I've just chatted with people who've worked in sales and they always say, Oh, you'd be good at that. So yeah. Um, yeah. Jim gave me the book to sell is human and I read it. And then he introduced me to some SDRs at a couple of companies and I interviewed with one and I got my first job. And that was how I sort of launched into working in sales. It was not because I was like, sales is the thing that I need to do. It was more like I was in the right place at the right time. And the universe was telling me your current life choices are not resulting in a happy, successful life. So maybe you should try something else. And that's how I landed in sales. So Sarah, so you're one of seven kids. Um, you mm-hmm. decided to to make the move in into a into a weird world. You found yourself in an interesting position, um, and you read, I think it's to sell is human. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. correct. Um, and then you know, how did that sort of help you on this journey? I've always thought that I could be in sales, and I've always sort of. I mean, I'm, I'm of the opinion that everything is a sale. Everything is getting people to buy into your agenda or to come to a compromise about a decision, but you're just, you're moving people. Um, and the, the way that you do that, it's the same in, it's the same when you put on a play or do a show. Um, it's the same when you're studying a character. It's the same when you read the book to sell a human, you have to think about what, what do other humans respond to what do they react to? What, what makes them tick? And um, I think that when that, I think that there's like a, there's a point, like when you first started in sales, especially in the SDR function, you, you do things like, you know, you get in there and people are like, okay, here's all this automation software and go, and you don't do very human things. You mass mass blast people, um, uninteresting emails that then blow up on LinkedIn and, (laughs) or, or you have really awkward cold calls that don't, that don't resonate. And that was totally me. I, I definitely did that when I first started out as an SDR. And then one day it just sort of clicked that, that, um, if I really wanted to, to sway people in the direction of taking a meeting or agreeing to the next step, um, 
that if I approached them and had a human conversation, if I spoke to their human desires and needs, then um, I could do a much better job of, as an SDR, booking meetings and and sourcing opportunities. Um, but it was it was like a point of like putting putting the the um, the action and the process and the, you know, end result that you desire, putting that aside and just focusing on the human, the human connection with the other person on the other side of the table. Yeah. It's an interesting concept, right? Because I think I'm not that old, but when I speak to some SDRs, I feel old because we didn't have, or when I started, we didn't have automated software that pushed out sequences. It was all manual, right? It was even the dial was manual. We were using telephone keypads. And then I ended up going into a contact center and we had a dialer which was pushing the call in front. And that was kind of the most automation. Um, And I think what allowed me to be such a successful seller was the fact that I had to be curious and I had to do a level of research to try to understand the people that I wanted to engage with and create that relevant narrative that allowed me to have a conversation with someone and that earned me the right to actually get in front of them and, and, and have a point of view and, and start the dialogue about why they should consider to talk to me. And I think where I see a lot of gaps now in the market is that the SDR function is brought in. They said, right, these are the metrics that need to be achieved just generate net new meetings. Um, you know, we're pushing out automation because we need to personalize at scale, but yet the, they're not learning the foundations of what selling is truly about. Um, did you find that experience when you first started as an SDR? Yes, definitely. So before I started working at Gong, my current company, I, I was at an organization that I just really scaled up really quickly. They they um, done what a lot of startups do, where you know they double triple the size of their SDR org, but they um, it felt like there weren't the processes in place to support the, the all the new people onboarding, and so so much stuff gets lost in translation because it's not documented. It, it isn't anywhere. And literally, my first day on the job, I I <laughs> remember I got pulled out of an onboarding session to go make dials, but I didn't know how to how to do that because I'd been yeah. the front desk girl at a startup, you know, eating cold eggs for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so, like that, I think was the problem. It it was um, the problem. I mean, there's there's a bunch of problems. There's there's lots of problems in the SDR world, I think. But I but when I talk to SDRs today. Um, cause I, I work with SDR nation and we get a lot of people who are, you know, zero to six months into their, their SDR role. And a lot of times they're at, you know, quickly growing startups and they're just trying to like get their feet on the ground and understand what they're doing. The big gaps are around, how do you, wh- what the heck is personalization at scale? And how do you actually research someone and how do you hit all these KPIs that my manager is putting in front of me and like getting on my ask about, you know, I think one of the most frustrating things uh, that I've experienced is being at 200% of my number as an SDR and having a manager come in and say, I'm really disappointed that your KPIs are so low. (laughs) And, um, and like that, that's like the first gap is like, um, when KPIs become the primary um, point 
that management focuses on and the only way that they measure if you're executing in your role, then um, you end up just making as many dials as you can to hit the 90 dials a day or 100 dials a day metric. And you write a very generic sequence that you dump a bunch of contacts that you pulled out of Zoom info into and you abuse um, the ability to automate. Whereas automation is a really fantastic tool to keep you organized, to help you think about where you, who you should be focusing on and how, and um, allows you to like spend time in your tier one accounts and, and mm. really make sure that you're really speaking to, to, to them because they would make a great client for you. Um, so it was kind of like when, when I got to Gong, um, Tanner Robinson was my manager and he spent a lot of time just teaching us about why would someone buy our software? Um, what are the pains that they experience on a daily basis? What are the frustrations that they have? And we would listen to customer calls where VPs of sales and CROs were talking about these, you know, million dollar problems or $10 million problems sitting uh, in their pipeline that they didn't have the visibility they needed to solve it and how their head's going to be on the chopping block if they don't hit their number by the end of the year. Um, and, you know, everyone knows like the tenure of an average VP of sales is like 18 months. So yep. it's a really real reality and it's a ton of pressure. Um, and so like understanding that pain um, and then being able to um, be curious about how someone's experiencing that pain and sort of poke, poke the bear. Mm. I think John, that's what Josh Brown says all the time, poke the bear. Um, being taught how to do that, that's like, that was the big transition for me. That automation is not, it's not to be abused, it's to be used as your friend and that some things don't need to be automated. Um, and then again, if you just come back and have a, have a conversation um, and we can talk tactically about how to do that. But I think like that, that mental transition was what allowed me to go from an SDR who mm. Um, hit all my KPIs and still could go months without booking a meeting to an SDR who had some of the lowest KPIs on the team, but the highest quota attainment. Yeah. I could take this conversation a number of ways, right? Because I'm loving what you're saying, but in your career, you've had incredible success, top of the funnel. Now you've made that transition to AE and you're on track to hitting your target in your first year, exceeding how much of your success is down to tactics versus the mindset that you've taken into the profession? Um, I think, I think it's both of those things combined. If you don't have a good mindset, um, then when the tactics fail you this week, um, it's really hard to recover. And then you're not disciplined about next week or the week after. Yeah. Um, so you can get yourself in this um, really negative rut. So, um, like, you know, throughout, throughout everything that I've done that's been sort of competitive or like I did competitive speech and debate all through high school and college and I ran cross country and <laughs> sort of did track, but I wasn't very good at sports things. So I was good at the acting things, but I was competitive in that, you know, yep. like even going up for an audition, that's really competitive because there's, you know, a hundred other girls who look exactly like you walking into the studio to do their audition too. And um, not being intimidated by that is really important. So I always just say, like, this is the goal, and the goal has been achieved, and I just haven't, I just haven't experienced it yet. That's sort of how I think about it. I just, I just put that thing, and I, I put that thing, and I decide it will happen, and then I don't really think about it anymore, and I focus on the process. Um, 
And so having a really good process and the tactics and techniques and iterating on them with a positive mindset that I will grow from this, I will learn from this, just because this one thing failed today doesn't mean it will always fail mm. and I can take that and learn from it. That's been really, really helpful. Um, you know, I've, I've, got, I've totally gotten angry emails, <laughs> especially as an SDR from people being like, you know, all, all the kinds of angry emails that you'll ever see. Um, I've probably gotten that or people hanging up on me. And if you can just kind of laugh it off as like, well, that person's having a bad day. I hope, I hope tomorrow is better for them. Um, and just sort of fall on your sword, apologize and, and keep going. Yeah. Um, then, then you, then you are, you, you can, you can totally be successful. But I think like discipline and having tactics that you iterate on, like with a like with the positive mindset, those things have to go hand in hand. Yeah, and I think we've all experienced rejection, right? I mean, I did that cold call challenge with you, and I had what nine dials, or nine people picked up one conversation, and I think eight people hung up on me, right? So uh, you've got to have that resilient mindset um, and know that it's not you. Sometimes you just have those days, but I want to go back a moment because, you know, you've spoken a bit about, you know, the fact that you're, you've taken a certain mindset into, into the role that has seen you achieve success, but who owned the learning? Like if you, you came from a startup eating cold eggs, boiled eggs, you went into gong, where did that learning occur? Did it learn on the job or were you, did you take responsibility to say, Hey, in order for me to exceed, to, to, to grow my career. Um, I need to learn more. Where did that learning occur? Um, so I think, I think that learning is a, a partnership. And I think that especially early on as an SDR, um, your manager needs to be, um, in lockstep with you, helping to support you get to the next level. Um, like, Again, having done competitive speech and debate, I've worked as a coach and I've been coached by a ton of people. And, you know, when you're in the moment and you're performing, whether it's on stage or on a cold call, there are things that you're doing that you can't see, that you don't know. And you just don't know what you don't know. And if there's someone, someone who can be the extra set of eyes to point out where you're missing, or if you think about basketball, if you're going for a layup and, you know, you're elbows cocked out to the side funny and you never realized it. And someone just says, Hey, tuck your elbow in. And that's the difference between you making the shot or not. Um, that's, that's what I think that the manager is, is for and should be doing. They should be spending at least 50% of their time coaching. So yeah, coaching, like, yep. yeah. So like my learning took place, all my learning, um, at Gong took place on the job, but Gong also like is very much supportive of, I mean, they brought in Sandler training to come teach us how to sell, um, so we went through like months worth worth of Sandler training. Um, th- they gave us a learning stipend. So I bought Chris Voss's masterclass um, and w- watched that in my downtime sometimes. Um, and then I also have the benefit of selling to sales leaders. So there's nothing better than you get rejected on a cold call and you say, hey, before we hang up, um, what could I have done differently to to earn the next meeting? Yep. And um, you have a sales leader step back and go, well, here's what I would have changed. Um, sometimes you get a second shot. Yeah, <laughs> I was say, that's awesome. <laughs> um, 
And so, so, so like a lot of my learning has been, I mean, it was from my manager spending time helping me see what I couldn't see, praising publicly and coaching privately, which I think is really important. It was from, um, getting, being, getting rejected and taking those, those things and saying, Hey, how do I respond to this? I mean, my first two months at Gong, anytime somebody emailed me back, um, I would be like, Tanner, that was my boss, but Tanner, Tanner, come here. What do I say? And have him help me think through how do I respond to this email or drafting up a new cold email. And I'm not sure if it's going to resonate and being able to send it to Adam Ochart, who's one of my peers, who's just a couple months ahead of me. And he was really successful. And him saying, well, have you thought about tweaking this? Uh, what do you think this is doing for, for the prospect? Do you think that would resonate? Why, why not? And just getting getting other people to to be involved in the experience. And I think like, that's one of the things I love about working at Gong because we have like one of our operating principles is win as a team. And we really are, it's a team effort. It's your manager, it's your peers, it's everyone. We're always helping to, we're always willing to help each other improve. And um, I learn a lot from not just the act of selling, but from watching other people sell. Yeah, it's funny you say, because that's that was one of my, um, one of my early mentors gave me this grid, like a window, add more, less delete. And I used to have a little sheet with me and I used to watch other sellers and go, right, that's awesome. I need to add that. I need to do more of that, a little bit less of that. And I've got to delete that completely because that's a characteristic or a behavior that is not serving that person well. Um, but what I'm really enjoying hearing you talk while you're talking is that you know, what you're saying about when you craft an email, this is not like a candid one email for all. You're really putting thought and consideration into the process and thinking from the buyer's perspective, how will this resonate with the potential, with our prospect? What might pique their interest? How is my point of view? Um, And for me, that is what's separating you um, from the rest because you're giving yourself the best opportunity to get that person engaged in some point, in some conversation. Um, and have you got a particular structure that you follow when developing those templates or those emails? Yeah, I do. So for my first outbound touch, the structure is, and if you're looking for a tactic audience, this would be the one um, that I, I write. Um, I always start with the prospect. So it's something about the prospect. And I think of it um, you know, in, in literature, the inciting incident is like the thing that sparks the story and gets things going. I think a bit of that, about that. What's the inciting incident? What's the thing that's happening right now in this person's business um, or their job that would make them go, that's true. That's really happening to me right now. Yeah. So it could be that you just hired six new account executives and you're ramping them up. And it could be that, you know, your company just just released that it's launching a new product line. It could be a bunch of things, but I'm always looking for something that's super, that's, that's right now. It's, it's really happening right this second. And it might ha- be painful. Hiring new people is always painful. Mm. Um, onboarding them, ramping them, hoping that you, you, that this person is going to deliver. It is a, is a nerve wracking experience. And if a rep rep doesn't ramp effectively and efficiently, that's that you lose a ton of money. I mean, to replace a rep Mm. costs twice the amount that you paid them. Um, Plus you lose all of the, um, 
uh, earning potential that they were supposed to bring in when they were selling. So there's a sunk cost of a rep plus a lost opportunity cost. So making sure that goes well or making that go faster, that process of time to productivity, that's a big deal. And um, so if I see something like that happening on LinkedIn, if I see that I'm hiring under their name and I go and I check what their open recs are, I'll pull that and I'll make that, you know, the first sentence of my email. Um, and I'll also pull something out about something that they recently posted on LinkedIn or something that they say about themselves in their profile or just anything, a, a recent quote from an article that they were in. I'll go Google their name. So that's my first sentence. It's just something, something about the prospect um, that could be a challenge. The second sentence is, um, it's, it's a connecting the dots. It's like, hey, connecting the dots. But if, if this thing is going on, you might be experiencing X, Y, or Z pain. You might be afraid of, uh, that you're going to, that your reps won't ramp effectively in this example. And then the third sentence is just a, an open, open call to action. That's like, could this be interesting? Um, would you be open to learning more? Um, is this relevant to you? you know, one of, one of those many call to actions that's just like trying to get them curious about, about learning more. So, you know, and maybe, and usually there's like a little bridge sentence in between, would you be open to learning about how we, yeah. how we help folks in your role do X, Y, or Z thing? Yeah, I love it. I was just taking notes where you're putting that. I love James Muir. James Muir, the author of The Perfect Close. I love his phrase at the end, his CTA is, does it make sense for us? to find some time to talk about this. Um, and I put, I, I love that to soft kind of CTA um, and I use it throughout the sales process. So this is really, I love what, you what you're sharing here. So you talk about really highlighting something that, that you have predicted, like have you, you've assumed essentially through your research that what you're highlighting is something that's quite painful for them right now. So okay. that'll pique their interest. And then you're talking a bit about the relevance to them and then putting a CTA at the end. And so that allows you that structure and that's in your first email. And what does your cadence look like for when reaching out to these prospects? I, yeah, I use Sam Nelson's Agoshi sequence. So it'll be that email, LinkedIn connection request, a cold call. Um, there's, a couple, there's a couple steps in between, but it's, it ends up being three emails, three separate emails, but both all three of those emails have two email bumps in the thread. Yeah. So, you know, after I write that email, a simple bump of any thoughts, anything like that, that typically has a really high response rate. And then the, the third email in that sequence is, um, and that's automated, that any thoughts is automated. And then the third email in that, in that chain is something that, that gives a little bit more context around why I was reaching out. Um, so, you know, maybe those three sentences, it's not enough. Uh, and so just trying to, you know, fill in, flesh out what I was trying to say a little bit better. Um, and then there'll be more calls and LinkedIn touches. And then um, the second email is attacking it from a different angle. So if the ramping reps doesn't resonate, well, maybe actually releasing a new product and going to market with a new product mm -hmm. line is, is actually the thing that's, that's getting yeah. to the prospect. And um yeah. I think like LinkedIn's a really great place to find that kind of research, but the place where I found the best information is going to the company's quarterly earnings reports. Mm. Um, so if you if you're working a publicly traded company 
that is like, that is the gold mine because you can literally hear from either the CFO or, or the CEO exactly what the company's priorities are. So there's no, there's no guessing. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I've just instantly fallen in love with that because that is what allowed me earlier in my career is I used to read that we, we called an ASX listed, um, which is our stock exchange here in Australia. And I used to use those reports and you're right, grab key pieces of information out of that, pop it into my email or in some cases letters. Um, I used to send out actual mail um, and highlight some things. And that would really pique their interest to go, well, well, this person has taken the time to learn a bit about me before reaching out. And automatically it allows me, it's kind of mutual respect, right? Um, so that's what I like about what, you, what you're talking about here. Um, and so you've, you've obviously got a cadence that works. You've really thought about it. You're putting in a lot of uh, intent into the way in which you're reaching out. You've made the transition from SDR to AE. You're hitting some incredible numbers. You know, how has that process helped you in your current role? And what could you tell other people that are looking to make that transition from SDR to AE? Totally. Well, I think, first of all, prospecting and um, being disciplined in your prospecting, that's, that's never, ever going to hurt you in a future role. Mm. And... Um, in the, in the moments that I've been in a tight spot, having a good prospecting discipline has helped me out. Example, in Q1 of this year, um, I took time off in December. And so, and we had the first week of January off. So I, I didn't have a massive pipeline for January. And I ended up um, coming in at less than half my monthly number for January. We're, 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 we have a quarterly quota, but, you know, it's definitely like um, <laughs> to, to start off like really behind everybody else. Um, and so I just, I, um, I just put, I put my prospecting hat on and I put my head down. And by the end of Q1, I'd hit 144% of quota. So I, I made up the Delta in two months um, and then exceeded it. So like, I think number one is just like never, never stop prospecting, never lose that skill set and keep iterating because what's working, you know, what works now, it's going to change, you know, in a year it's going to change, especially with the, how fast technology evolves. Um, but I mean, there's, there's a ton of things that, that there's, there's a lot of things I didn't know or I knew in theory going into being an account executive that, um, you know, I think you can watch someone juggle Right. And you yeah. can go, okay, I get it. I see, I see where they, I see the pattern that they're doing. I see their timing. And then you go try to juggle and, um, you know, all of the pop soda cans just like fall on the ground and explode. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and that's what I think like transitioning into the account executive role is. So if you can at least have, if you can be able to keep one ball up, the prospecting ball up and moving, then that's like one last thing that you have to learn how to do. And so the thing that, that helped me a lot as an SDR transitioning into, into an AE role is six months before I ever got promoted, I started practicing um, discovery calls with um, the hiring managers of the commercial sales organization and other account executives who had time to spare. And, um, and, and obviously because I work at Gong, I can listen to a ton, ton of calls because that's what we do. Yeah. Um, and that practice made 
getting in front of the prospect a lot easier and starting to have that conversation. And I was like, okay, great. Like I can do this. I can, I can run our discovery call. I can dig for pain. I can come up with, you know, that number, that economic number that they're trying to hit and what the impact would be to their business. And then I was like, oh, but I don't know how to demo that in our product. <laughs> so um, like the first thing, the first thing, I mean, there, there's so many different things that was challenging, but like the first thing that was hard was, Taking, learning how to take a discovery call and show someone value in a product. And I'm still learning how to do that and execute it on it, on it better. Um, but that was like the first thing that I started to iterate on was, okay, now I know how to prospect. I know how to run the discovery call. Well, the next part of the sales process is run the demo. So how can I run a demo well? Um, and it's just sort of like knowing that you're never going to master every single step of, of the process period. You're never going to um, right away. So you just pick one thing and just focus on getting good at that. So my first couple of months, I just focused on how do I get better at taking what you're telling me and um, telling you a relevant story back with data that would make you go, I think I need to continue evaluating this product because I think it's really going to solve some big problems for our company. Yep. But this is interesting. <laughs> Because I think what you've done is before you moved into the seat of an AE, you've defined, okay, what are the next level of skills that I need to start to build upon? You've identified that. You've taken the mindset of, well, I'm going to own that. You've started that learning and then you've recognized, okay, cool, the demo is the next stage. And you're right. I, one of the things that I love about this profession is no matter how good you get, there's always room for improvement, right? Mm -hmm. We always make mistakes. Um, there are always things that we can do better. I mean, I, I review some of my, I always review my sales and go, you know what, I, I miss something and there's an opportunity for me. And I've always said this, the minute I get to a point where I feel like I've got no more room to improve, I need to change my role or I need to change profession because, you know, I've lost that desire to learn more. Um, and so I really enjoy, you know, hearing what you're saying. And for anyone listening to this that's in an SDR role, one of the things that I've taken away, if you want to make that transition from SDR to AE, it's define the skills that you need and start working on them now. Because the question that I have for you on that is, how did that help you in your SDR role by learning the discovery stage? Well, it made my cold calls a lot better, actually. Yes. Yes. Um, because so, so and, and for context, the first time I interviewed for the account executive role, I didn't get it. I, um, the way that, that we run the process at Gong is just because you consistently hit or achieve quota doesn't, doesn't automatically get you a promotion. You have to showcase that you can do this thing, this discovery call, and also that you have a plan for success. So you showcase your 30, 60, 90 day plan. So, um, I got a lot of feedback about the discovery call, um, and I took it and was sad about it for a minute. And then I was like, okay, well, now I, I got to make these changes. And so I, I came up with a whole plan about how I would perfect the discovery call. And it was the same thing as I'm talking about right now, like those bite-sized chunks. Instead of just focusing on the demo or the discovery call, I was focusing on the different pieces of the discovery call. Because yeah. there's, you know, you have your small talk, then you have an upfront contract, then you ask innocuous questions, then you lead into the pitch of the product to orient the customer. 
Then from there, you you run the discovery call and you try to understand what about that pitch resonated with them and what is the most important thing on their plate. Then you try to make sure that, you know, you, you take the product that you're selling off the table and you just understand business priorities. And then from there, you can like, you know, figure out what it is. Is it ramping new reps? Is it improving deal execution? Is it coaching reps more effectively? You know, whatever it is, those are value props of Gong. And then trying to drive for like, what is the business impact if we achieve this goal or just improve this 5%? Like, does this make the business a million more dollars or a hundred million more dollars? Mm-hmm. What does that do? Um, and then from there, like t- tell the story back to them and then close for next steps. Yep. And, you know, so I realized that I, I, was, I was struggling on some of those things and it was just, it was, it was sloppy. So I had to clean them up. So I would just practice. I'd sit down with one of the managers and I would just practice my upfront contract and have him give me feedback. And then once he gave me the green light on that, then I just practice the the pitch. And then I combine the two. So just like, just building like a little choo-choo train. Um, So yeah, I don't remember what your initial question was because I I started tangenting. (laughs) Uh No, no, it was about sort of how has that helped you like how mm. did that six months, because you had six months to build the skills around discovery and then demoing, and then how has it helped you in your cold calling? You yeah. Said, it, it helped me, you know, heaps. Um, yeah. Why do you think it helped you? Well, so this is the mistake that I hear a lot of SDRs do on their calls, and I still do it sometimes. And I, and I did it up until like the last couple months of being an SDR, where it is asking for the meeting too early. Yep. Or... Um, responding to an objection by asking for the meeting. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, um, you know, when someone says, oh yeah, that does sound interesting, instead of going, oh, well, do you want to have a call with my account executive to learn more? Going, what sounds interesting about that? Yeah, it's that curiosity, right? It's about understanding more. Like, and, and this is where I feel there is a huge opportunity still today in the SDR. You know, you break down the sales process into different stages um, and then you measure and reward people to hit a certain metric. They're not worrying. I mean, I, I've coached a very successful SDR and I asked the question, how many of your meetings are actually moving to a point of close? He's like, I don't know. Like, don't you actually care? He's like, well, I get rewarded on X. I'm like, yeah, but... You know, I don't want to be sending upstream stuff that's not converting. I want to know. I want to actually know if the stuff that I'm sending up um, is actually converting. And that was one of the conversations that we had about progressing his career because I said, if he wants to make the jump to AE, so I said, really, you should know how they're transitioning through the different stages of the process and finding out, well, if they drop off, is that a result of me sending um, something through that shouldn't have gone so early? Should I have nurtured it more? Should I have asked more compelling questions? Should I have engaged with them more in the process? So I actually love the fact that you've mentioned that, that sometimes we're prematurely asking for the meeting or we're not hearing what they're saying when they raise an objection and we're trying to meet our needs, not theirs. And that's why you get like that, oh, well, just send me an email. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, I'm happy to send you an email, but what do you want me to send you an email about? It's like, <laughs> no, we should have just... Should have you should have waited to ask for the meeting. You should have, like, um, even today. I was on the I was on I was on a call with a, a friend of mine, and he was saying like, oh, oh, I was making cold calls today, and he said that he got this objection from this woman. She said, "Where are you located?" And he said, "I'm on the West Coast." Well, her company's on the East Coast. She said, "Well, 
I don't want to work with a company on the West Coast because our current provider, we're already having problems with support. And his response was, well, our company's headquartered on the East Coast. So, you know, and, and I work East Coast hours. She was like, not interested and hung up on him. <laughs> and, and I said, well, that you should use the Chris Voss, you know, you have to, you have to mirror them and then you have to ask a, make a statement, ask a question. So it's like, um, you're, oh, you're, you're, you're having problems, trouble with your current provider because they're not on the East coast. Um, okay. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious, like, like what, what are, what are the trouble, the, the problems yeah. that, yeah. What are the problems that you're having? And then you just say like, the reason I ask is because a, a lot of companies actually switch over to us because of our white glove customer support that we offer, um, which, you know, we have support agents who work around the clock. Um, but like, let's dig into that. Like what's happening, what's going on. And just yeah. like, that could have kept her on the line long enough mm. to like blow off some steam, I think. Um, and then he could have figured out, oh, this is an opportunity for us to differentiate. Yeah. So, you know, I, I totally get that you're not on the market to evaluate new vendors, but um, I'd love to just, just spend 15 minutes on a call with you scheduled when you have the time to, to share a little bit about how we support our customers and what we do. And if that sounds at all, like after that conversation, if that's at all appetizing, we can continue it. Or if it's not, you know, we can shake hands and part ways, friends. But then that would have yeah. given his himself ammo to ask for the right kind of meeting, right? Absolutely. And also, you know, when we don't listen, when we when we just respond without understanding, like, you know, um, and that that I, I find is, is one of the biggest challenges. And, and a lot of us, a lot of sales professionals have that problem is that, we're just listening to respond versus listening to understand. And we miss a really great opportunity to build a relationship with somebody because obviously that's a pain for her. And, you know, well, what is the impact of that pain? What's currently happening for that to be of, you know, if you've got support issues, how is that impacting your business? Mm -hmm. You know, how is it impacting your customers? What does it mean for you in your role? And if we're able to understand that, then we can better empathize with them and say, look, you know what, as, as Chris says, you know, empathy, empathize, mirroring. It's all about building rapport, right? Um, it allows yeah. us to then share, you know, it's really shit that you're having that experience. Is it okay with you if I share how our support team helps organizations in similar situations as yours? That's one of Anthony Inarino's um, incredible models of, you know, sharing how they differentiate from one to another. Um, and I love that. So, I mean, um, Sarah, we could be talking for days on this topic. I mean, it's awesome. The conversation thread has been incredible today. And, you know, we started off on one tangent. We've moved to a couple of others. Um, and I think there's a couple of other episodes we could could have in the future. Um, but look, for anyone that's looking to engage with you, where's the best place for them to engage? It's LinkedIn. LinkedIn. That's, that's the place to find me. It's, I don't, let me look at what my LinkedIn handle is because I don't actually know off the top of my head. <laughs> and oh, we'll, it's, we'll put the show notes. We'll put in the show notes. so that people Yeah, it's it slash SJ Brazier because I made my LinkedIn when I was in college and Joy is my middle name, so. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> just before we wrap up, can I ask you for anyone that is either, you know, an emerging, they're in the SDR role at the moment um, or they're an AE, What's one piece of advice you could give somebody that's trying to improve themselves and be the best they can be in their profession? I think the, the piece of advice that I would give is to um, make a commitment to yourself that this is the thing that you are going to work to improve and just and put some time limits on it. I'm a big fan of 
you need to put, you know, by this day, I will have done X and, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to work every day to, to achieve because that was when I came to Gong and I first started out, I thought I'm not going to let anything at all get in my way of mastering this role. So I will stay late at the office. I will not be in any extracurricular activities. I will just immerse myself in mastering the craft. And if in six months I'm still struggling to hit quota and I'm not good at this, then I'll really know that I'm not cut out for sales. But unless I put, unless I go all in, then it, it's not going to happen. So that, that would be my advice is just challenge yourself to go mm-hmm. all in um, because then it gets so much easier afterward. Yeah. <laughs> it pays off in droves. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. You know, and again, for me, what I've heard just repeatedly each, you know, throughout this conversation is mindset is the thing that's helped you achieve the results that you've achieved. And you've only just started, like you've only just started in the world of AE. So I'm really excited and I'm looking forward to seeing your brand and your career grow. I think we're going to see some incredible, probably some big things um, ahead of you, Sarah. So I just want to say thanks for the contribution you make to our community. Um, I've been you know, watching your content, engaging with it. It's great. Uh, you're helping sellers you know, be the best they can be. So I want to say thanks for the contribution and thanks for coming on the Sales IQ podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's been great being here.